We are doing another live episode of the Cracked Podcast. It is another one on the road. It's in a city we've never gone to before, in a country we have never gone to before. Please join us Sunday, September 8th for a one-night-only live episode at the London Podcast Festival. London, England, United Kingdom. Yes, that's correct. We have many British listeners tweeting me many times requesting a Cracked Podcast. This one time, this one day, it's going to happen. Links with full information are in the food notes. In the meantime, see you soon. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracked Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam. I'm also known as Schmitty the Champ, and I am also, also thinking about the world. Yes, that's right, the world, uh, the place we all live, and I mean we all live, any country you listen to the show in, it's not just the United States, folks, I, I have the numbers. But here's the thing about the world, it seems bleak some of the time. And often that's because you're reading real news about something that's uh, very bleak and very bad. We, uh, we decided to do an episode today with the following topic. It is pieces of good news more people should know about. One more time, that is pieces of good news more people should know about because uh, we're not aiming it to like lessen the pain of any particular bad news you might know about in the world. We're not even really aiming it at a particular release date or thing or anything like that. We just want to share some of the good things that are going on because that is part of having a balanced mental diet and also an accurate picture of the world. Because here are a few statistics about this world we all live in. The Pew Research Center says that a record number of countries are democracies. Right now, out of the countries with at least 500,000 people, so that's sizable of a country, 96 out of 167 of them are full democracies. That's 57%, more than half. Also, only 21 of those countries, or 13% of them, are autocratic, are fully without some kind of democracy. Obviously, the amount of representation there varies uh, between countries and U.S. states. Yikes. But the point is, the world is trending in a better direction than it was in, say, the Cold War. You remember that Cold War we just did a Cracked Podcast episode about a a few weeks back and also did in Minnesota? Yeah, that was a, a tough time to live in a lot of places. Now, a lot of those places are doing better. Here's another thing. This is reported by the Christian Science Monitor. The world suicide rate is down since 1994, and it is down 38%. That means 4 million lives have been saved over that period of time since 94. That amount of people is four times the number of people killed in combat in the world. So for all the wars and and fights that have gone on in that time, we've saved four times as many people by lowering that rate. And there's other statistics here I'll just kind of rattle off and we'll also link in the footnotes. There's been a massive decline in child labor. The UN International Labor Organization says that there's been a 40% global drop in child labor from the year 2000 to the year 2016. Hey, those are all recent years. In a short amount of time, we dropped it 40%, almost 100 million fewer kids in child labor. There's also been a massive decline in child mortality. Uh, According to Our World in Data, which is a project of the University of Oxford, death before age five, which is what they define child mortality as, that has dropped every year since 1950 in all countries. And even in the world's poorest countries, that rate has dropped by more than half in the last 20 years. So all over the world, that is happening less often. 
I could go on from there. I know those stories and those statistics are a little bit hard to wrap your brain around, right? It's millions of people. It's decades of time. Uh, it's all sorts of different countries that, you know, we're not all familiar with. We don't know everything in the world. Here's the thing. That's okay that it can be a little hard to wrap your mind around because I think one of the things we're going to get into today is that these stories are worth knowing in spite of the fact that there's some cognitive load to just understand them in the first place at times. Because there's a lot of positive things going on in the world if you know to look for them, and I have two fantastic guests to look for them with me. I am so excited to talk to them, and they're old pals of mine and yours. One of them is Soren Bowie. Yes, current writer for American Dad, a past incredible cracked writer. He also has a recent Twitter thread about his real-life efforts to acquire a toy garbage truck for his son. And it's in the footnotes. It's it's incredibly delightful. It's a very specific ask. And uh, he pays it off brilliantly. And it's just like another point of light out there. Really good. My other guest is my pal Katie Golden, who I hope you remember as well. She's the current host of the Creature Feature podcast, a past and current incredible comedy writer, and she's behind the number one Twitter account for bird rights activism, which will be a footnote as well, uh, because you will soon be calling birds burbs, and you will really be enjoying all times you see birds in life uh, once you discover this comedy account. This episode is heavy on environmental news, it's heavy on world news, and it's heavy on a lot of other categories of news that maybe don't get a ton of attention, partly because it's good news. Good news maybe feels unreportable at times to various media outlets, because, what, we're just going to tell people something went right? Yes, that's a good thing to do. It's what we're doing on this episode, and let's let you hear it. So please sit back or dance around the room if you want to. It's up to you, especially if you have a flexible headphone. Either way, here's this fun episode of the Cracks Podcast with Soren Bowie and Katie Golden. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. We've got one Cracked article that's the source of a lot of this. Uh, 20 Pieces of Good News Everybody Missed in 2018 by Kelly Stone. And maybe we talk about the presumed extinct kangaroo and go straight there. Oh, yes. Uh, and Katie, you picked this one out because yes. it's just very exciting that it happened. I love animals. I think people probably know that if they are familiar with my podcast, which yeah. is called Creature Feature. Listen to it. See, I got my plug in. Yeah, you did it. It's good. <laughs> um, so it's this tree kangaroo that was presumed to be extinct, and it was last recorded in 1928. And it's it's adorable. <laughs> so cute. It doesn't look like a kangaroo that you're probably imagining, where it's got the big haunches and it goes a boing a boing. <laughs> um, <laughs> they all wear the boxing gloves. Not one of those. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're hopping around, have really good a really good stance, really good defensive posture. Now these. <laughs> look like a bear with a long tail, but also real cuddly. And so for the first time, someone actually snapped a picture of it. And the picture itself is really funny. It's like the the expression on the guy's face is like, oh boy, I wasn't supposed to be spotted. Oh, geez. <laughs> that was an audio clip from the kangaroo. Yeah. He did not say that. So this is in uh, Indonesia. It's in a mountain range, which I'm going to try to pronounce correctly, uh, Wandawoy, I think. And you stuck so, the landing there. That sounded good to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this article, I like how this article describes the, the person who uh, led the expedition as an amateur botanist from the UK. And 
I don't know how you're an amateur botanist. <laughs> I didn't know there was like levels of botany. I thought you were either a botanist or you weren't. No, there's like, <laughs> there's the triple A's and then you get called up from that. Right. Uh, right. To become a professional botanist. <laughs> well, like, would an amateur botanist, like, like he, so he's from the UK, so he's going around going like, Oi, this tree looks a bit like a, you know, I don't know. Oi, is that some sort of tree kangaroo? <laughs> it's a very specific situation, right? Because we, we had not seen these since 1928, and apparently the person who saw one uh, shot it. And so then we knew about what the animals were like because we had this specimen of it. And then they were just not seen again until 2018 when this amateur botanist uh, took pictures of it. Right. Much better. Shot yeah. it with a camera, not with bullets. Come yeah, on, yeah. people. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's a very remote area. So that that does happen sometimes where I think we fancy ourselves as having explored every corner of the world we're, as if we're sort of always omnipresent and we'll know what animals are out there. But, you know, there are some really remote areas where we're not necessarily going to see animals. I mean, I know Soren was talking about this once, the snow leopards, like we couldn't, they just warp in and out of the fourth dimension. You know? <laughs> um, so it's great. It's great when we have some evidence that an animal we think is extinct is actually still out there. I mean, it could still be critically endangered, but at least there's... There's some hope. It's It, yeah. it reminds yeah. you of the days when people would come to a new country and not know anything about it and be like, oh, man, there's giant hairy people here. They're orange. And it's like, no, those are right. end up being orangutans. But, <laughs> right. but these things, these big things can still be out there that we don't know about. It's, it makes the world feel a little bigger. I like it. Yeah, maybe we maybe we feel like there's less good news because there's no more world to like survey. There are these animals to find and things, but there's no like, oh, we found a new uh, continent. Interesting. Right. We've run out of megafauna, the the big animals to find, like a bear or yeah. a mammoth. We got to really go to the bottom of the sea and take a look around. Yeah. That's the last yeah. place we can go. Find the stuff. And, and he, that stuff's usually terrifying. It's just, <laughs> it's it's just it's a fish yeah. made entirely out of teeth and jelly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's nice because, I mean, they're, these are, they're not huge, but they're, you know, a fat dog. Size. Yeah, because <laughs> listening at home, look up the picture in the footnotes because it, it is called a tree kangaroo, but they describe it as looking more like a hybrid monkey bear. And that's kind of what it looks yeah. like. like it's, it's a little bit of a koala style animal. Yeah, the no it's yeah. got the nose of a koala, the ears of a bear, the body of a chinchilla, and the tail of... A possum, maybe? A possum, I guess, yeah. Like an Australian opossum, yeah. Yeah. It has that kind of Ice Age look to it. Maybe it's just yeah. because the illustration is in the same well, style. You, you can kind of see the photo. The photo is like he's sort of just poking out from behind the tree, but he does. I can't even tell what he looks like from that face. It's just a little <laughs> bunch of leaves and then a little face. Um, actually, if you've ever seen an Australian opossum, just oh. imagine that, but bigger and fluffier. I didn't know they had a whole kind. That's great. Yes, yes. They're yeah. actually a More lot less. More good news. They're, yeah, a lot less, uh, they're a lot less terrifying <laughs> looking than American possums. They are much cuter, but uh, I do like American possums. They're they're good little guys, and they, they're they one of the only animals that don't necessarily carry rabies, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, we have a few other animal things here while we're on it. Uh, one of them is that... This is a Science Magazine, which is a top journal and also National Geographic report that African elephant poaching is way down. You might not think of that uh, out there that that's going on, but uh, it's down more than 50% since 2011. Why? Uh, so they have a few theories, and the biggest reason is that China banned the ivory trade in yeah. China. 
And so that was apparently a big source of it. But also they think it might be because China's in a little bit of a recession. So people just can't pay for it right now right. and will later. <laughs> uh, so we don't know exactly. Uh, but they think that's one of the big reasons. And then also just countries trying as hard as they can to, to make it less of a thing. And I love elephants. It's very exciting to me. That's great. Yeah. That is great. Until the elephants learn that they can poach us and use our bones for instruments. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe, but I don't know see how that bad that is. That might be kind of fun too to watch an elephant playing a xyl like a rib yeah, cage like, like a xylophone. That'd be cool. Just I'm on board with this now. Yeah, like with this, like they're very dexterous trunks. They could do that. <laughs> That's a whole animal thing going on there. And then also uh, there's a Belize Barrier Reef, which I didn't really know prior to us researching this. But it's the second largest barrier reef in the world after the Great Barrier Reef. And it's about 190 miles long. And in 2009, UNESCO put it on its danger list. They said uh, for, for various uh, mostly man-made reasons, it's dying. And then Belize worked really hard to fix it, and it's back off the list. They prevented any oil exploration there. They also put other protections in place. And in June of 2018, they took it off the list and said it was a transformational shift. That's they did wonderful. It. That's excellent yeah. news. I think especially because with all the environmental – and, of course, we are in a lot of danger in terms of the environment. But I think people also get the sense that there's nothing we can do anymore, which is definitely not right, the right. message you should take away from it. There's still – so much we can do to save, you know, some of the most important aspects of the natural environment. And reefs are one of them. They are such an incredible hub for life in the ocean that it's it's kind of, it's like they're the cities of the ocean world. Yeah, I would say that there's a takeaway from this whole podcast that with all the things that we'll get to. It's not necessarily just like, ah, oh, that feels better. I feel okay about the, I feel about the, the, the right, we're on the right trajectory. I feel like the best Takeaway here is you should be, feel sort of inspired by the fact that these things are happening and that they are possible, and they're yeah. and everyone's sort of realizing it now. And they're not even just happening in, in the, and it's not like everything's happening in Oslo or these these really developed countries where you feel like that's the future. A lot of it's happening in third world countries that are war torn, and it's still happening. Like they're still taking into consideration. No, this yeah. is what's important. We need to get this done. Right, like we can't so we can't rest on our our laurels and sort of just like kick back and be like, ah, eh, they got it. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> when thinking about how dire the situation is, it is also important to know, like, we absolutely can change things now, and we can bring back reefs from the precipice and find kangaroos wherever. <laughs> <laughs> it's all possible, baby. <laughs> Get out there and find yourself a kangaroo. <laughs> that's oh, that's such a fun metaphor. Like every tree could have a kangaroo. Uh, think of them I that way. I love that. I love it. <laughs> There's also a general thing with a lot of environmental stuff or animal stuff where occasionally people who are opposed to helping with that, they'll be like, why are we even spending so much time and money like tracking it and counting it? It's just going to be depressing. Like, no, right. if, you, if you keep doing statistics, also you'll find the good news and it's very exciting. As we've seen, we can make these ra rather drastic changes in terms of improving the environment, even now. Yeah. I mean, we'll probably, our, our shoes what? will probably still get wet. <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, it's not... A binary situation. It's not either the, we get an apocalypse situation and Jake Gyllenhaal is sad, or everything's fine. There's a lot of degrees in between. Yeah. So a lot of Jake Gyllenhaal has many emotions. Sad Jake Gyllenhaal in a library waiting for his daddy to come get him. Yeah. <laughs>
I wonder if we're all in the exact age range that saw the day after tomorrow. I think it was just us. And <laughs> this was the audience. It's actually just She'll... us three people. Yeah. Nobody else saw it. <laughs> and in terms of these these changes happening fast and around us too, uh, we've got a story about California, a state that we're all familiar with. Um, we're and, in it. <laughs> yeah, we're in it. And uh, and Soren, you picked it out in particular because uh, there's just good news about California's goals. They did it. There is, yeah. So they did it early. They had uh, this goal to get their greenhouse emission gas production, I guess, down. And they had a date by which they wanted to do it. And they did it four years early, which is, I mean, great news. Uh, uh, There's a lot of reasons for it, for why they had that reduction. Some of them were unintended. Like they, there was a recession. (laughs) There was the 2008 recession. And that meant that a lot of people lost their jobs. There was a lot less commuting. There was a lot less people on the roads. And yeah, People also just couldn't pay for gas and stuff. And so it started to help there. But then as the economy started to boom again, we continued to to reduce greenhouse gases. And that was like, that's a huge thing because it basically, it shows other cities that you can decouple economic growth from yeah, gas production. Yeah, from greenhouse yeah. gas production. So that was the biggest sticking point for a lot of people who were like business first, business first. Like you just can't do it. You You can't. If you want economic growth, you're going to have greenhouse gases along with it. It's just the way that it goes. And California is sort of proving, no, you don't have to. Well, and that first that first goal they wanted to hit, they decided in 2006 that they wanted by 2020 to get to their old emissions levels from 1990. Yeah. Uh, so they basically wanted to achieve the past with far fewer people, the same uh, emission level. And they did it by 2016. They did it four years earlier, like Ooh, you said. If we're going back to awesome. 1990, could we get those little shell necklaces back too? Pukas, yeah. Pukas, can we get those back? Yeah. Get, get your cool. hemp together. I mean, hemp is legal now. So yeah. now we can we can create all the necklaces we want and just go collect the puka shells, and clean up the beaches. Tips. Can we do frosted tips again? Right, right. There's an enormous smoke belching factory where that's happening, <laughs> where they're putting them together. But it's necessary. Our hands are tied. What are the we going to do? The very endangered puka. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, like you said, they have these these advanced goals for the near future, too. They want to get 40% below where we're at now for carbon emissions by 2030, which is not that far away. Yeah. But I don't know. They keep beating these goals. Great. Right. Well, I mean, we're kind of in the 11th hour anyway. We, those studies came out that said that we have like 12 years to get this shit right. Yeah, or we're, yeah. we're all fucked. And so <laughs> to the credit of a lot of like mayors and cities and stuff, they're like, okay, well, let's see what we can do. And they're all trying very, very hard, including California has always been sort of the spearhead of that. Yeah, I think, and it is, it's like exciting news that thanks to federalism and, and local and state governments and stuff, like if you say, ah, the United States is going so wrong on this important thing, parts of it can go right. If nothing else, California is a large chunk of the country. So like a lot of the U.S. has done well lately on this. It's very good to know. <laughs> and then also we've got a thing here. They also picked us somewhere in where there are just tons of cities in the world that are now primarily renewable energy. Yeah, these are kind of tied together. So there are like over 100 cities that are 70% renewable. Like that means that they're using renewable energy. And that's that's not like they've been doing this for as soon as we found out about global warming back in the late 90s. Like, this happened between 2015 and now. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, this is how quickly you can get on board with this kind of thing. A lot of them, are, and they're all over the world. They're like Nairobi and, and Brazil. And one that's 100% renewable is Aspen, Colorado, where I grew up. Oh, no way. It's now currently 100%. Yeah, there are, Aspen. I think, five in five cities in all the United States that are currently 100% renewable. Yeah. 
And I mean, I did learn from Dumb and Dumber that Aspen is in France, so we do have to fact check that <laughs> bit, but uh, the rest of it is also definitely in Colorado, right on. My image of it is everybody rides horses, so that's got to gotta help, right? It does, yeah. It helps. <laughs> it, uh, in terms of the methane, no, it does not help at all. But, <laughs> but yeah, in terms of the cars, absolutely. And so it's funny, a lot of this is actually spurred by Trump accidentally. So <laughs> when Trump dropped out of the Paris Accord, there were a whole lot of people all over the world, but particularly in the United States, who were like, there were a lot of mayors who agreed to this global covenant of like, okay, well, let's see what we can do to get the, to make the world better. Because it's no longer, there's no longer these mandates from the federal government. Right. We're the ones that are in control now. <laughs> like, let's try and <laughs> try and get these cities renewable. And they're doing it and they're doing a really good job of it. Right. All the mayors just talk to each other and then they are working on it. Yeah, that's 7,400 7, mayors or something like that. <laughs> cities all over the country were just like... We're going to, first of all, we're going to create a covenant. Then we also got to get a room that's going to fit all of us so we can have our meetings. <laughs> can you imagine like all the mayors just in one, there, there's going to be so many khakis. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the first step is renewable energy. And then after that would be zero carbon. And like, that's what they're aiming for, but you have to like go through renewable first. And so right. that's where all of them are right now. And that's like more than 70% of their energy is yeah it's amazing is renewable that's great and it's not like they're just producing it in in their cities either it's so for instance like aspen they don't have wind farms there but they're like they're buying wind energy from other states yeah there you go yeah how <laughs> do you buy wind i call shenanigans just the energy katie once it's energy it basically comes into coins and then you can ship it wherever you want i don't See, because I tried to burp in a jar once, and that didn't work. <laughs> like, I thought when I'd open the jar, a burp would come out. But no. My brother just stared at me like, what are you doing? And now he doesn't have any wind. Ha! Well, he's, work he's actually an a engineer working on his PhD, working on stuff like energy and things. So oh, really? Maybe no way, my, really? Maybe my burp in oh. a jar, he's like, but maybe something else could work. <laughs> 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 He's presenting his thesis like it began with my foolish sister. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would only this be so demo. honored. <laughs> That's like that. The only reason I know about any of this stuff, or why I was so eager to select it on the on when you sent us examples of things we could talk about, I was like, oh, because this is stuff my wife works on all the time. She works at UCLA in this the yeah. Environmental Research Center called oh, the Luskin awesome. Center, and so like. A lot of the stuff is things that she, that she comes home and complains about all the time. Like it's just not going – it's not going as fast as we want. That's because you, when you're in the trees, it's much harder to yeah. remember what progress looks like because you can see like, – you know what you're aiming for and it feels so slow getting there. But for everybody else, it's like it's really nice to remember once in a while. Like we're in the right – we're headed in the right direction. You just have to like, take – yeah. These, these little increments are – they will add up over time. But like – they're good. They're great news. Little things like that we can prove that you can decouple economic growth from greenhouse gas production is like nobody knew that that was possible even like five yeah, years ago. And now it's possible. And so other cities can take note and be like, oh, okay, all right, we can do this. I think apathy comes from either not being scared enough or being too hopeless. So if you think there's no hope, then why would you do anything? But if you think there's no problem, why would you do anything? We got to be in that middle where we're very, very anxious, but, but still motivated to do it. That's how I live my life. And now I expect everyone else to do the same thing. Just let the anxiety fuel you into action. <laughs> there's one thing from this cracked article where Kelly picks out that young people in the U.S. are buying more homes. 
that's just going on. You wouldn't think it is, but uh, the rates have gone way up lately. The Census Bureau has said that rates are up for all age brackets for homeownership, but especially for people under 35, it's up to 36.5%, which is the highest rate since 2013. Uh, So there's been a spike, maybe especially as we've gotten a little more out of that recession in young people uh, suddenly owning homes instead of that thing you read about millennials, uh, like wasting it on toast or something. Well, I made my home out of toast. That was my mistake. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> the birds. That's, you know, we should hang out more because I, I live in an avocado tree. Oh, okay. <laughs> Honestly, right now, it's mo- the home is mostly birds. Though. <laughs> There's a, another thing here that's driven by a, a 24-year-old person There is a Pacific garbage patch that people know about. It's just an enormous floating mass of plastic in the Pacific. And a 24-year-old Dutch person named Boyan Slat pitched a a way to clean it up with a giant sort of tube mechanism. And they're doing it. It's starting to clean up uh, some of the plastic in the Pacific. And, And they're saying that the goal is to remove 50 tons per year with this uh, mostly passive just thing where it's a C-shaped tube that loops all the plastic together. And then every six weeks, a boat comes and just collects it and takes it out. Oh, that's great. I don't know how familiar people are with that story. I had heard about, oh, this young Dutch kid figured out a way to work on it. And I, in my head, I thought, oh yeah, a lot of kids have ideas. Sure, sure. (laughs) Uh, But it turns out he's actively doing it. Like they put it out there, the prototype kind of broke a bit and they're like doing a lot of testing and redoing and, and getting it to where it'll work. It's very exciting. That's awesome. It's so yeah, it's like when Kevin Costner decided how to fit, how to clean up an oil spill and everyone was like, uh, okay. All right, Kevin. All right, Tim Cup. Yeah, we all have ideas. But it was like a legitimate thing that he invented. There's another uh, there's another trash cleaning mechanism called a uh, Mr. Trash Wheel. I think it's in Baltimore and it's got big googly eyes and uh, it uses this kind of old school technology of the water wheel and it's just plunked out on the waterfront. And the water wheel powers it, and then it lifts trash up through, like, there's, like, a buoy funnel that goes into its mouth area, and a conveyor belt that lifts it up into a compartment, and then just collects the trash, and it's really funny looking. Oh, the googly eyes are such a great touch. They're really unnecessary. It kind of looks a little bit like a big frog, where it's got this big gaping mouth and a big wheel, like, foot. It's become very popular. There's a Mr. Trash Wheels Lost Python Ale. Mm, when I think so, of trash, I think of beer. I do, I, yes. <laughs> like like some steamy, sparkling trash water. <laughs> um, but I just think people really love these ideas because they're, I mean, this one is adorable because it's got little eyes. But I think that's kind of cool that cleaning up water areas is uh, is becoming kind of like this thing yeah. of, of people really excited about it. And that's great. All water areas, really. Like I, I grew up around the Great Lakes and there were all kinds of stories about how polluted they used to be. And there's still stuff there. But like my my parents would be like, you know, there was a river in Cleveland that caught on fire. Isn't that a great story? And I was like, what do you mean? And they said, oh, well, it's so polluted it caught on fire. Uh, we'll link it for people. It did. Uh, it was a whole thing. But it was just because the water in that area was so bad. And I wonder how many people live by something where that's gotten better, where they've worked on it. Yeah, we can improve. Uh, and it's even better when you put big googly eyes on your technology because it makes them cute and accessible. Yeah, we can't stress can't stress that enough. Whatever you invent, right? I mean, don't forget the googly eyes. This right. is something uh, Elon Musk needs to hear. This is a direct message to Elon Musk: big googly eyes. In 
It is almost summer. Summer is prime ice cream season. And this episode is brought to you with the help of the wonderful people at Ben and Jerry's. Yes, Ben and Jerry's, the best ice cream company, the one that has brought me and you a lot of joy over the years. They're helping make the show. Isn't that great? I really, really think it is. Ben and Jerry's has fantastic flavors that I cannot get enough of. Uh, hey, Cherry Garcia, what a, what an amazing ice cream. I also like about Ben and Jerry's that I feel like they realize things should be ubiquitous ice cream flavors that maybe weren't quite yet. I don't think cherry ice cream was everywhere. You know, like the extremely standard chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, which are all good. That was kind of the basic American ice cream in the world. And then Ben and Jerry's changed the nation. I think that's pretty cool. Cherry ice cream's amazing. And it is, of course, more than cherry ice cream, right? Because then you've got cherries and the fudge flakes working together, being a team, much like the iconic Grateful Dead band. What a great situation. You should be eating that right now. I should be eating that right now, too. I deserve some. I'm going to go work that out when we're done. And you should be like me. Treat yourself to your favorite flavor anywhere ice cream is sold. Or find a new favorite at benjerry.com. That's B-E-N-J-E-R-R-Y dot com. One thing to repeat from the top of the show, the Cracked Podcast is headed to the London Podcast Festival, our first ever show in the UK, our first ever show outside the United States at all. That show is Sunday, September 8th at King's Place in London. A lot of other great Earwolf shows are going too, and you can kind of bundle them all up if you want to. It's really neat. Full information for all that is linked in the food notes, and full excitement for it is throughout my heart. Well, there's also, there's a project going on around the area of Chernobyl, you know, from TV. And uh, <laughs> They named the, it after that TV show. Yeah. <laughs> that great miniseries is going on on HBO, and people are very on top of the old Chernobyl disaster. A good so, thing has happened lately in that area. It's very exciting. Is it the, all the Instagram posts? Is that a thing? People yeah. are gramming yeah, Chernobyl? Yeah, people are gramming Chernobyl. Don't do that, guys. It's still radioactive. <laughs> you don't want to be there. Yeah. People are going there. Oh, Insta- yeah. Influencers are going yeah, there yeah, and yeah. grabbing graphite off the ground. <laughs> one influencer did like a half nude one. And it's just like she she has had her butt out. And it's like, it's a great butt. I believe in butts. But don't expose your butt to radioactivity. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's still bad there, right? You, there's those, yeah, yeah. All the first responders' so, uh, gear is still down in the basement of that hospital. Yeah, you, you shouldn't go. No, don't. Well, because uh, <laughs> yeah, because according according to the government of Ukraine, the area is not going to be livable for the next twenty four thousand years. So, hmm. so I feel you should do Instagram elsewhere. Uh, but, <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, they figured out that it's like still a usable space, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's irradiated and no one should hang out. But it is land. Except it is it is on Earth. Yeah. So they said, hey, we have this area. What do we do with it? And the government of Ukraine is encouraging investment in solar panels there. And so now they're in the process of turning the Chernobyl site into a giant solar power plant because you can. You can just put a suit on, put the panels there and leave. And that's all you have to do. And it still works. Every single episode of Chernobyl was a deep gray, like it was constantly dawn. (laughs) Do they get enough sun there? Yeah, well, they uh, so far it produces one megawatt of energy and the goal is to reach 100 and then also the site is still connected to the power grid from when oh. it was a horrible plant. Can and they... so there's, it's pretty easy setup. It's the cheapest land on earth. They've figured out a use for this thing that happened. Can they like safely get get in there and, and connect the infrastructure? Or are we going to have to sacrifice some Russians? <laughs> no, every guy goes in for 90 seconds and works, 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 and then runs back. That could, <laughs> it's I like mean, a relay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I admit I haven't I haven't watched them how they're doing it. I'm sure they put on suits and and do that thing. <laughs> you know, you know the protective ones to be yeah. formal about right. it <laughs> to treat it with the uh, soberness that it deserves. <laughs> <laughs> I almost wish there had to be some kind of addendum on a very valid miniseries like that, where it's like, by the way, this thing has been happening in the last couple of years, just so you know, you know? Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. And then in terms of this other thing, I feel like there's a trope out there where people are like, oh, sure, wind and solar sound nice, but it'd be so expensive to put it up. How would we possibly do that? And we've got stuff here that Katie picked out where it yes. turns out just about right now it's becoming cheaper than ever. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is an article by Yale Environment 360. So it's a surround sound environment. <laughs> Um, (laughs) Maximum Yale. (laughs) (laughs) So renewables are cheaper than 75% of U.S. coal fleet. So that's very awesome. Yeah, it's cheaper to run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the coal power is now becoming more expensive to generate than uh, wind and solar energy, according to a new report. And they also speculate that by 2025, wind and solar power will, the infrastructure will have grown enough such that it'll be low enough prices that it could theoretically replace 86% of the U.S. coal dependency. So that's- 86%, Yes. There's this, there's the complexity of it, which is, I think, eliminating coal is often associated with losing jobs. But that's all policy stuff that we could, you know, if we had policies that were humane towards workers and took into account that people will be losing their jobs and that we step in and because saving the environment is about helping people, right? So it's, so we can do the same thing in terms of of providing people's jobs. So I think that people who are concerned about jobs, like that's a very valid concern, but I think that uh, we can do both. And because it's more economical, it could probably end up saving us a lot of money at some point. It feels like that's the only way to really drive anything in a capitalistic society. Like you have to, there has to be some monetary incentive to doing anything. (laughs) Like you can say... We know that we're near the we're on the precipice of like a huge disaster, and we're still like ah, but people's jobs and stuff. Five more minutes, <laughs> and yeah, uh, and so if there's economic incentive behind things, it's really easy to get people on board with it. You just tell them like it's cheaper to do a wind farm than it is to do a coal plant. There, are people who are like, oh shit, okay. The people who are in charge of that kind of thing are like, okay, well then that's obviously that's the direction we go. It's we have yeah, only yeah. a bottom line to worry about, and now you're telling us that the bottom line is actually better for the environment. That's great. And uh, yeah, and even even the monetary aspect of there are some jobs uh, setting this stuff up and and operating it like yeah. they're, they're, a it, ton. They yeah. employ humans. I know I know the Chernobyl one. People don't go in much, but all the others, you <laughs> know, there's there's people handling it day to day. Yeah, I mean, I think it is important to no- realize that like it isn't necessarily as simple as retraining because like a place where a wind farm is not going to be necessarily the same place where like a coal plant is. So you will have some some instability, but I think we can. There's no reason we can't both be sensitive to people who are going to be losing their jobs and and provide, you know, resources for them and do this at the same time, especially if we're going to be saving money. So it's really, it comes down to, it's not, it's not the fault of the, the alternative energy. It's going to be up to us to make sure that our economic policies are as humane as our uh, environmental policies as well. And we can do it. I think so. 
If we can find new kangaroos, we can do this. <laughs> For God's sake. <laughs> yeah, it all it's like all tying together ultimately. Ah, so confusing my head. But like we we can do it. We can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just imagine that cute little bear like kangaroo smiling down at us from the trees. <laughs> Maybe maybe we should talk about there's a few tree stories we've got that we we haven't gotten to. Katie had picked out one that yes. Canada just made a whole forest a, a thing for a long time. Great. Yes, it's uh, the largest protected boreal forest. I, I hope I pronounced boreal. that right. Boreal. Boreal. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that's that's <laughs> actually really cool. The kind of forest that is is it's filled with it's like the snowy stuff. So you got the Coniferous trees like pine trees, those are like the evergreen trees. Yeah, Winterfell type. Yeah, sure. Winterfell. Sure, sure. Think, think yeah. Winterfell. Yeah. And it actually hosts a huge amount of biodiversity. So there's like 85 species of mammals, 130 species of fish, 32,000 species of insects. And, you know, they, all, they get all sorts of uh, migrating animals as well, like birds and the only animals that don't do too well there are amphibians and reptiles, but eh, who needs them? <laughs> <laughs> so They'll get their turn. Wait in line, you turtles. <laughs> <laughs> and Canada has huge, huge boreal forests, and it's really important that they've now created this giant protected forest because it's a really, really important. It's also, you know, it's like one of the places where bears are, and bears are one of our last bits of megafauna, which is like the larger mammals yeah. that exist in the uh, in North America. That's so, what's so yeah, so cool about those boreal forests. They're like all the best animals are there. <laughs> like objectively, <laughs> like when a kid is looking through a book, and the ones that they're gonna like the pages they'll linger on are the wolves, right. the like bison, the well, yeah. I don't know if bison or boreal forest, but like the elk, the caribou, the grizzlies, like. All the really cool the yeah, owls and eagles. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, beavers are cool, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, and they and this forest is in uh, Alberta, the province of Alberta, and it's the size of two Belgiums, like the country cool. of Belgium. I thought you meant two Belgians. <laughs> <laughs> they are a large, a large people. Yeah, they're a million feet tall. <laughs> Close your eyes and picture a Belgian. <laughs> That's half of this forest. <laughs> It's all those. It's all those vegetables. They they get very tall. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was, a, and this was also a deal between the Canadian government and the Tall Cree Nation and an oil company called Syncrude. So everyone's working Sin together. Crude. <laughs> yeah, I know that's that's like the oil company-est name oh, uh, no. that they chose. I'm chosen. assuming it's S Y N crude, but yep. it sounds like S I N crude, like yeah. Sin crude. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like some sort of like arch demon's name. Like, it's me, Sin Crude. And Satan's like, maybe you could pick a, try again, buddy. It's, it's a kid picking his D&D character right, name. And he right. doesn't quite know what those words mean, but yeah. he's heard both of them in negative context. And he's like, these words I... have power. I'm going to combine them. My weapon is bones. Uh, who let Tommy play in the quest? We agreed. He's too young. Damn uh, it. It's like that Fern Gully villain. What's his name? Excess. Uh, the <laughs> oh. <laughs> Fern Gully reference. Anyone? Anyone care for a Fern yeah. Gully reference? Same people who, who watched uh, Day After Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, we've got our we've got our people with like Jake Gyllenhaal shirts, and they're like, "Yes, finally, Fern Gully." Getting <laughs> time in the sun. <laughs> Gyllenhaal shirts, Fern Gully shorts. Obviously, <laughs> a lot of specific gear. Gyllenhaal in the front, Fern Gully in the back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and then uh, other other tree story here. This is in the country of Niger in Africa. 
uh, in West Africa there, and they uh, were having a lot of trouble with their soil and also uh, desertification, like the Sahara is coming in and growing. And so farmers there just kind of piecemeal over the last 30 years have planted 200 million new trees. That's right, several Belgians worth of trees. <laughs> and, but they did that much uh, just planting forests and forests and forests. A lot of them are specifically gao trees, which are trees that add nitrogen to the soil instead of taking it out. And so it's a thing where they've boosted their crops and kept their land going across just entire chunks of their country on their own in a community way. It's very exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a little hard to, uh, I think, envision in one's head because like, where's that country and who are these people? But it's worth learning about. It's very exciting. Yeah. And I think the fighting desertification is really important. And there's one, there's the new planet earth-esque uh, it's called our planet our or, planet yeah it's called our planet. still david Attenborough. Yeah, he's the still one. he's yeah. still going strong and there's this scene that broke my heart where these flamingos have to migrate from body of water to body of water and so they have to they have this very brief time in which the desert provides a body of salty water that's just good enough for them to Wow. be able to lay their eggs, but then they typically what it is, is they can migrate there, lay their eggs, and it keeps them safe because the water's too salty for predators to really mess with. So then they will then, once they're done, they'll go to another body of water, but it's becoming harder to find a, another uh, nearby body of water to go to with the chicks. And so these really salty waters, if they don't get out of there in time, you know, the these little flamingos, they just get covered in salt and they yeah, can't walk. calcifies on their yeah, legs. Yeah, and they look like, it's kind of cute because they look like little leg warmers, but it's deadly. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so it's just just like if you see a str- you see the struggling little flamingo chicken, you're like, we got to save everything. <laughs> we got to do it, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, yeah, it's also a thing where deserts have their own ecosystem and are their own thing with lots of valuable animals, but endlessly expanding deserts yes. because of pollution are bad. Uh, <laughs> and that's that's what's happening wow, in this take country. Of leisure. <laughs> You're going to yeah. stick with that, huh? Yes. You're going to get a lot of tweets, sir. <laughs> it's, I think it, the, the key thing is that deserts are an important part of the ecosystem, but it's a balance. Like you need, you can't yeah. have all desert all, all the time. Yeah, yeah. And this country is uh, it just local people are finding a way to work on it. Yeah. Uh, with a cool kind of tree I hadn't really heard of. Where yeah. it, uh, apparently the leaves fall off right in the rainy season. So you can grow crops under it and then suddenly the leaf canopy goes away and there's more sunlight and that fertilizes it. And it's a whole thing. That's yeah. exciting. Don't even think of farming that way. I, I go back to beavers a lot, but like the <laughs> fighting that desertification in the U.S. and in just in North America in general, they're using introducing oh. beavers to habitats to like to end that aridness of a particular area. And, and I didn't know they're doing that here. Yeah. Wow. Well, a lot of them. So there's a lot of places where you know beavers were almost hunted to extinction here for for a while, and they gotta get um, hats. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. There's <laughs> the pelts that people were after, but they. <laughs> It meant that like a lot of these areas that were previously wetlands became arid and dry, and they were just sort of like these great, perfect flatlands to build on. And so a lot of our towns and cities are now built on these areas that used to be wetlands. Wow. And if you reintroduce these animals, it's like, okay, well, what do we do with all the people in the city? And they're like, okay, well, well, we won't do that spot. Like, we'll just find <laughs> no. some other areas where it'll be okay. <laughs> but it is like a real it's a real issue now. It's, and you just see at every single stage how much we, we, we fuck up the environment without even trying, just like by existing. <laughs> well, and then it also seems like, I feel like maybe people occasionally resist 
caring about an environmental story or digging into it because it feels like it's just blame, you know, like yeah. it's right. just, ah, the humans have fucked up and it's, no, this is information and then there's things you can do about it. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. hear a story about a good way that we fuck up the environment? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Paraguay has completely gotten rid of malaria. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Love every animals except mosquitoes. Fuck those guys. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story you picked out. Yeah. yeah, they're the first country in 45 years to eradicate malaria. Cuba did it back in the 70s. It's easier for an island to do it. But like, so malaria is a huge deal, especially with global warming, because there's a lot more uh, habitats for mosquitoes. There's areas of Argentina Um, that mosquitoes never even lived before. Right. And now it's like a thriving metropolis for these mosquitoes. (laughs) Oh, no. But uh, everywhere else in the world, there's been a huge uptick in malaria cases, except Paraguay. And Paraguay has just relentlessly picked away at this until they've gotten rid of all malaria in the entire country. And yeah, it's amazing. They border countries like Brazil that have huge instances of malaria cases, and they're still doing it. And it's not like this is something that they did since 2015. They've been doing this since, I think, 19, uh, 1957. They started a coalition to, yeah. I think it was the Anti-Malaria Agency, because they had like 80,000 people die during the, a war with Bolivia, not from the war, from malaria. Oh, and boy. it just <laughs> devastated the entire country. Every, I mean, in every walk of life, they lost people that were contributing to this country and and so they they decided then like we have to get rid of malaria we have to do something about this and so paraguay has been through a lot of destabilization between 1957 and now they've gone through like every color of political leader and oh yeah they were probably somebody's cold war puppet one way or the other (laughs) yeah yeah but they have this has always been a thing that they've they've worked at and dedicate a certain amount of the country's funds to was fixing this issue. And it worked. Uh, they have been malaria-free for like five years. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know how they... Yeah. So some of the ways that they did it was they, they knew particular breeding grounds for mosquitoes and they would go and dump a bunch of things that were toxic to those mosquitoes <laughs> on those areas. But they also, they, they're like more inspiring ways that they did it. All the private and public clinics all over the entire country, they have to treat cases of malaria for free. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, and that's obviously government funded. It's a, like a targeted universal health care. Exactly. Like we have yeah. it for this thing. Yes. For that's this so one cool. particular disease, you're allowed to be treated for free anywhere that you go. And then they've got volunteers all over the country, tribal leaders and, and people in cities. And it's like 5,000 volunteers or it doesn't sound like enough, but <laughs> they, they've got a lot of volunteers. 5,001. <laughs> <laughs> these people lead groups that will go and eliminate breeding grounds. And they also, one of their biggest issues is educating people. So like creating billboards and getting people in the know about malaria and how to prevent malaria and how to keep yourself safe from it. And then also warning signs of if you have malaria, because you can get those people to hospitals immediately. And they've they've staved it off. They've got, they border these countries with huge incidents of malaria and Paraguay is just malaria free. Yeah, because like one of, the, one of the most dangerous things about malaria is the water loss through diarrhea, right? Yeah. So it's like you can... You can replenish those fluids at the at a rate that saves someone's life. You know, I wouldn't say it's easily treated, but it is treatable. So it's that's great that they have that system in place. It's a disease that maybe a lot of the United States isn't such a climate for, but it's it's a global thing. If people don't know, it kills hundreds of thousands of people worldwide every year. And uh, and the country of Paraguay, that's so cool that they started in the fifties. Yeah. Like they just yeah. stuck it out. Because you can do that yeah. with a problem. You can keep working on it. Yeah. One of the deadliest <laughs> animals in the world is mosquitoes because of malaria. On Animal Planet, there'd always be like a show on, they'd be like, the deadliest animals on the planet. And they'd go through some really cool ones. And you're like, oh, 
they've already gone through like everything. What could number one be? And they're like mosquitoes. And you're the like, the humble mosquito. <laughs> oh. And it's just oh. like, <laughs> <laughs> look at this, look at this menace. It's a little dot on screen. Going like, bzz, 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 bzz. I like that pop culture was all those shows saying mosquitoes are bad. And then the one cool mosquito in Jurassic Park, like the cartoon one, is yeah. like, I helped. Well, you're okay. I brought but back the, the deadly, you. deadly dinosaurs. What? What? <laughs> I, I went to this talk on um, genetic modification and how it's not always bad. Like, I think people think GMO equals bad. It's more complex. It could obviously be bad because when you when you mess with genetics, you could potentially create like a something that's resistant to a drug or, or something awful. But one of the potentially positive things that GMO can do is like make infertile mosquitoes. Oh, uh, and neat. so so they can like what they do is it, it like introduces a gene I think that goes gets passed down after one round of breeding. That and like they introduce a bunch of mosquitoes that have this gene, it gets passed down, and then the next generation are like infertile, and that can cut down on mosquitoes. Uh. Obviously, it's a little scary because you don't want to. I, I know mosquitoes can. They're awful, but we don't want to get rid of every mosquito. Yeah, but we're also not in any danger of that. If anything, like they're gonna so. their population is thriving so well because of global oh, yeah. warming that it's like, no, it's okay to get they're rid of some of these mosquitoes. They're doing just fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, they are that like thing where they're gross and I don't like them, but they are such a fundamental ecosystem layer of so yes. many things eating Fish them. Fish need them. That it's Birds just, need them. Yeah, eh, tough. We, we do need All them. Right. Yeah. Some of them. <laughs> and also with like the world getting better and also problems taking some decades the un and also nasa agree that the ozone layer is healing around the whole world it's just getting uh, better the layers above north america are going to heal back to where they used to be by the 2030s and the hole in the ozone layer which is over the antarctic will heal up by the 2060s they project the main reason is we got rid of all the the aerosols and things that really? we were using Free in the on. 70s. Yeah. And so there's good enough bans in enough countries on those kinds of things that uh, this layer is just getting better. And the 2030s and even 2060s will probably be in our lifetimes. We'll get to see it. Whoa. It's great. Yeah. Don't even have to wait that what long. What does a healed ozone look like? <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, these fun NASA pictures uh, oh, cool. <laughs> where it's colored. Because the, the ozone layer also, I just realized, hey, I should double check like what it does. I kind of forgot. And the ozone layer is mostly to shield us from ultraviolet rays. And if there's too many of them, it causes skin cancer in people. It can also kill off plants uh, by just preventing them from be able, being able to grow. And it can kill plankton. And so those are more of those mosquito type layers where we need those things yeah. for all life. But that's a, that's just a global worldwide. Hey, something something else is getting better. I also wonder if for a lot of these stories, especially about science, it really helps us to have organizations, but also ones that do big benchmarks and that are big on like lists of things that are in trouble or things because it really codifies it for you. It really yeah. helps. It's like understandable then. This has been inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to buy some vintage fridges. We're fine. <laughs> all that freon uh -huh. yeah apparently there was there was a whole couple decades where we were building refrigerators that easily trap people and are also full of poison <laughs> that was a really bad situation Those right there the days. in the 60s 70s i don't like that at all back before we had this nanny state we could trap ourselves in fridges and and kill the sky right every sitcom had to explain that you could get trapped in a fridge right and that's right. I forgot all about <laughs> that. I love, Cherry I love, getting stuck in a fridge in Punky Brewster was like seminal <laughs> for everybody. Yeah. I just love that we built this device that would was the perfect child trap. 
<laughs> it's full of food. It's like bright lights. They just climb in there. Whoop. Got yeah. one. Got one. <laughs> a little flag pops up. Child caught. <laughs> Folks, that is the episode for this week. My thanks to Soren Bowie and Katie Golden for finding every kangaroo that's in a tree, baby. We did it. We found lots of great things that are going on in the world. Again, that is not to, like, cover up the bad things. I think it's because you probably know about the bad things. It is hard to not notice them these days, and so it's good to have a balance so you can, like, get up in the morning. It's a good thing. And in our food notes, you will find sources for that balance. Uh, in particular, a cracked article called 20 Pieces of Good News Everybody Missed in 2018 by Kelly Stone. And of course, this episode had things from 2019 as well. Two key outside sources of the many we drew on for this episode. One is The Guardian. That seems to be an outlet that just covers this stuff a lot. And the other one is one I mentioned in the intro. It's called Our World in Data. It's a project of the University of Oxford, pretty distinguished university out there in the UK. And they are doing a lot of data visualization and graphing of these things that makes them easier to understand, easier to view. And uh, I think that information is a net positive to have. It's really great. And of course, you should know more about our old pals, these guests today. Soren is a writer for American Dad on TBS. The episode on July 29th of this year is going to feature his name as the primary writer of the episode. I don't know if everybody knows how TV writing credits work. Like, everybody will be in the staff helping with every episode, and then particular writers will lead the way on particular episodes. I don't know exactly how things went with his, but I'd imagine that's what it was. And it's, it's so awesome for him. I'm so happy. So check that out July 29th. And he has a podcast for you to check out frequently. And it is a podcast with another fella named Daniel O'Brien, who you've probably heard of. The show is called Quick Question with Soren and Daniel. It is where uh, Soren and Daniel answer life's deep questions uh, and also some shallow questions. And there is a link to the feed for that show. So you can check it out. I think that's very exciting. And our pal Katie has a podcast as well that is linked there too. The show is called Creature Feature, and it is all about all of the amazing animals in the world. Like this, this episode was pretty animal heavy in a way I find exciting. And I, it's in particular because Katie could bring so much knowledge about that to the table, a literal table. There's a new table in the studio. It's very on my mind. But forget about my environs. Let's get into what our theme music is. It is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band. This episode was engineered by Devin Bryant and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. Please leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you listen. It'll keep the positivity train rolling all around. And if you hated this episode, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media. A space where I'm only interested in, like, like fun guff kind of aggression. You know what guff is? Like, you know, like people who are kidding around and pretending to be, to be over the top. Not interested in the regular aggression. Get it out of here. My own very calm and placid and mostly Snoopy Twitter account is at Alex Schmitty. My Instagram is at Alex Schmitzstagram. And I'm on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. It's got my show dates, my fun email newsletter of free internet stuff tips, and so much more. And I'm happy to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcast. So how about that? Talk to you then.
When I sit down to binge watch my favorite TV show or catch the newest episode, it's always better with a pint of Ben and Jerry's, of which I'm sure you know, I'm sure you know it in your bones because Ben and Jerry's ice cream is that good. As I mentioned earlier in the show, I'm going to get myself some Cherry Garcia immediately once I am near a way to get it, which will be very soon because, hey, you can cozy up with your favorite flavor available anywhere ice cream is sold, or you can find a new favorite at benjerry.com. That's B-E-N-J-E-R-R-Y dot com. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.